So in this exchange, we're going to be talking about the metaverse and its connection to brands. Great. And we should probably start by saying that the metaverse is not necessarily a new idea, but it's been gaining traction in thinking and writing recently. It's been popularized in science fiction writing. In particular, it's come from um, a book, Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Cheryl, you are a big VR user, right? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been trying for a few years now to level up on my Beat Saber game on my HTC Vive, but the experience, um, the experience isn't fully like Ready Player One level um, just yet anyhow. Yeah, HTC was a pretty early adopter in this space, but um, there's so many other competitors now, Samsung, Valve, uh, and some really advanced ones like the augmented reality headset from Magic Leap. I think if we can maybe take a step back first, um, obviously all of these technologies are really exciting and it's interesting to think about sort of what a full out metaverse experience might look like in the near or far future and sort of how these technologies are all going to kind of come together and converge in one quote unquote space. Can you define um, briefly what is the metaverse for our audience? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's been somewhat still defined and it's being used in some ways to describe a whole host of things, mainly the future of the internet or something that comes after the internet in terms of infrastructure. But I think if there's any shared definition at the moment, the important emphasis is about certainly synchronicity, um, certainly kind of openness and fluidity of IP and considering a continuous collective virtual space where there is some seamless convergence of um, a, a, a virtual enhanced physical reality. So I think language is a little bit difficult here because we get stuck in a, a hybrid, but I think what we're talking about is some form of extended reality. That's really fascinating, but perhaps a bit broad for now. Yeah, I think um, maybe if we st steer away from a technical discussion, it might be more interesting to kind of talk about um, the social behaviors, sort of the near applications of what a metaverse might look like um, as sort of a proxy for our appetite for something once this is available um, and sort of how, how ready we'll be for a technology like this. Yeah, and I guess just to frame things a little bit, um, as Ashley and I sit here in LA and you guys in Shanghai, we're definitely seeing some of the themes accelerate globally across the markets because of COVID-19. So for example, we're seeing the role of physicality really diminishing in the light of quite dramatic shutdowns across public spaces. Um, and it really amplifies sort of the importance of digital spaces because of that physicality uh, diminishing. Um, I think also what we perhaps once saw digital spaces um, being seen as compromises, we're actually qu seeing quite positive digital attributes shine. Um, but of course, on the opposite side of that is, you know, potential downsides of these digital attributes, such as losing, um, you know, in real life or IRL or the, the closeness that you get with, with people. But I guess in general, we could see the reconfiguration of community. Yeah, with all of that, I think where we net out is really a discussion about the potential for the metaverse, given this context of today, of this kind of pressure cooker that we're in at the moment, of social behaviors kind of emerging from this, given the pandemic, really accelerating our path to readiness. Mm, and I think going into 
2020 and going into a new decade before the world came into this uh, chaotic period, you know, one of the things that we were thinking would be an aspect of the way we talk about technology or the internet in, in, in this de decade going forward would be to try and shake off some of the anachronistic thinking and language around splits between digital and physical. And obviously the metaverse offers a nice context to consider that abstraction. I think for the context around COVID-19, it's forced us to reconsider some of the spaces, particularly around leisure and around work. And it's often this space of leisure where we most readily envisage a type of utopian future. And actually, it's more often the case where the slightly less exciting on the surface space of work is where the future plays out. So I think we want to talk about both of those aspects in the context of things like gaming, video conferencing, and, and other examples. Hmm. So Alex, what is it then? Red or blue pill? <laughs> it's definitely not the red pill in terms of its adoption by uh, lots of, of kind of male conservative groups in, in the US. But if we use the matrix reference, it's probably a little bit in between and somewhere more like a purple pill. <laughs> so as we chat about, you know, the state of metaversal experiences, I think today's discussion will be really looking at the proto metaversal spaces like gaming and communications to indicate what may happen when synchronous serial spaces converge IRL and URL, where the time spent um, and meaning derived from moving seamlessly between these spaces could constitute our new realities. Because this topic of the metaverse um, is so far ranging and pretty far out, we'll run this as a hallway chat about several topics and use examples to pose questions about where the metaverse is heading. Yeah, we'll be following up with a longer form written piece on our ideas platform called Chimera. And of course, if you want to discuss any of these topics in depth, we'd be happy to uh, get in contact with us and talk more about it. Cool. Let's kick things off um, of metaversal spaces with gaming, um, because it's been critical to preempting elements of the metaverse. Um, it's certainly gained a lot of momentum and has the most visibility and tangible relationships with brands recently. Um, I guess let's take a moment to talk about recent moves and upcoming plans. Um, it seems like when it comes to innovation in this early metaversal experiences, um, nobody is bigger than Fortnite at the moment. Yeah, and I think Fortnite has been the locus of a lot of recent thinking about the metaverse because it it's so expansive as a universe and it kind of goes beyond its initial purpose. And that's really fascinating. And obviously the audience size and growth potential of it is pretty phenomenal. So maybe we could start there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, Fortnite has really garnered a large user base. As of May this year, there are about 350 million registered users of Fortnite, which is up 250 million last year um, at this time. And I think, you know, there are definitely the game elements, but 
the beauty of Fortnite, and I've actually played um, with my cousin who is 13. Um, he tried to teach me how to play, and it, I think it follows a lot less of a linear and mission-based um, format than traditional gaming definitions. And so, you know, as you kind of see Fortnite grow in this space, there's increasingly social and participatory elements, um, which I think really draws uh, a direct parallel into what a metaverse would be like for Fortnite with things like concerts, um, album releases, parties and things like that, um, all of which is really driving usage up. And I think for Fortnite specifically in thinking about it as a game, um, the Battle Royale format is sort of where um, Fortnite kind of I think first gained its popularity. So a number of players kind of show up um, in the space and are dropped into a an island where they kind of duke it out to be the last player standing. So I think it's a game format that's definitely growing in popularity and um, we can kind of see how that's lending itself into social spaces now as well. Mm. What do you mean by increasing participatory moments? Like how are these metaversal experiences different from just core gameplay or battle royale in Fortnite? Yeah, I think Ashley just mentioned a moment ago about uh, there are these like kind of in-between moments of the gameplay, like the lobby before you go into the island, or um, just even thinking about the island itself where people are playing that battle royale experience and adding new types of uh, ways to like engage with other players that isn't just about the kind of normal linear battle royale experience. So they add in layers like... Um, microtransactions for skins, um, the different dance moves that we see loads of kids playing, um, and different characters that you can buy, different experiences within that space. Yeah, and moving beyond the, the gaming and even just beyond the social space is super interesting. Like in some of the research we've done here with PUBG, which is you know pretty much analogous in terms of gameplay, you have teenagers going on dates and talking with each other and kind of using it in the same way that teenagers used to hang on the telephone, you know, 20 years ago. So it in, in, in real time and in real space, so to speak. So that's really interesting. And, and then I think you've got aspects of what metaversal thinking talks about. So you've got e-commerce, uh, you've got synchronous communications, you've got shared kind of virtual experiences that then like correlate with real world events, real physical world events. And so that's super interesting. And I think from a perspective with brands, obviously, or artists, you can start to see lots of collaborations going on. So Diplo has featured in it. The biggest thing recently is obviously the Travis Scott concert, which saw 12.3 million people concurrently, um, nearly concurrently, uh, participating, as well as that being broadcast then afterwards across a whole load of uh, platforms as well, which I think we'll talk about later. And even that's 2 million up in terms of viewership from the Marshmallow concert last year, which was kind of considered one of the, the, kind, of the, the kind of breakthrough events on that. Um, I think what's super interesting, and maybe Tristan will add something onto this later, is the way in which the technology is, is powering this. So Unreal Engine is being used to move towards much more powerful kind of real-time world generation um, and is kind of underpinning a lot of potential metaverse building um, games and, and environments at the moment. Um, and we saw in that that concert you know a really interesting projection of uh, travis scott in a, in a kind of larger than life feel where he was 
moving around like Godzilla. <clears throat> um, and, you know, you see all the videos coming up on, on, on YouTube laterwards of, of people interacting and kind of their, their stance within that. So it's kind of collective and both individual at the same time. Mm. I mean, like 12 million people, like there's no stadium in the world that can fit that many people to see, you know, a concert, to your point, concurrently at once. Um, it kind of feels like we're going back to, you know, previous broadcast television, which can feel pretty one directional. I guess beyond concerts, have they expanded into other types of experiences um, that we might normally, you know, do or see um, in real life? Yeah, I mean, I think we're starting to see artists and media formats of various sorts converging into this this space, so beyond gaming and beyond concerts. I think Unreal Engine's really interesting insofar that it's being used in the movie industry a lot. And even I think The Mandalorian was um, made entirely on that. So it's bringing a certain change in the production uh, of television, of cinema, and when they're then also seeing aspects of cinema playing into things like Fortnite. So there was a uh, collaboration on the last Star Wars movie, Rise of Skywalker, and there was a, a certain nod to the Fortnite scene at the beginning of that when it, when it came into uh, into the into the cinema and there's discussion of Christopher Nolan who's obviously a really progressive um, author um, debuting his trailer for a, a film in, in in Fortnite so we're starting to see like things that may be experiments maybe hype but you can start to see kind of metamedia type experiences playing out as well mm. I mean, it sounds like they're moving pretty ambitiously towards a media delivery program, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think of it, about these as more of a games as a service, um, really essentially just delivering experiences outside of pure gameplay. And if you think about it, I mean, the game world really is a vehicle to a lot of different experiences, and it's possible to consume other services in a shared sense of community. Um, I think that this concept definitely has momentum, especially in a period like our current global COVID-19 lockdown, where people are really starved for socializing um, in social moments. Yeah, and that's a, a good point. I mean, I think we are probably guilty as much as other people within our industry of, of thinking of things as media delivery platforms and kind of giving giving names to things, uh, you know, thinking about the distribution of content. But I think particularly in the context of people being stuck at home and the idea of access, one of the things that's super interesting about Fortnite is that it's platform agnostic, which is quite rare in the world of gaming and very rare in the world of IP. So you can have things distributed across multiple outlets and there are no walled gardens around them. So it's on YouTube, it's on Twitch, which obviously speaking to a Google and Amazon competition there being broken down. And this interoperability is a key aspect of the metaverse and one of the, the kind of the key challenges going forward. But if you just think about it from a access perspective, from a customer or user perspective, then it's, you know, it's very open and it's, it's very cool. Mm, I guess this is good and all, but how does this free to play game with such ambitions really translate to wider success? Like what's stopping from 
um, another Fortnite competitor, like you, we mentioned earlier, like PUBG, from making something similar to Fortnite? Yeah, there's a lot of Battle Royale games out there, but um, Fortnite has really hit on this kind of stickier experience uh, that you spend time in that space with your friends. You have the opportunity to have these really unique experiences like watching the movie trailers. Um, and there's definitely an opportunity cost to switching. You kind of uh, imagine all your friends are hanging out on Facebook or Snap or WeChat, and you wouldn't necessarily just want to leave all those people and friendships behind. Um, in addition, you have all the services and things that you're familiar with. So um, people don't want to switch necessarily. And even though the gameplay remains uh, somewhat similar, they keep adding in new experiences. Um, and I don't think people are going to be leaving Fortnite anytime soon. Yeah, just to add on to that, I think that sort of the network effect that Fortnite has been able to reach is sort of a really interesting lens to look at that platform through, which is really around the sociability of it. And I think, again, there's a direct relationship from the social components to what a metaverse could serve and could be like, you know, essentially this virtual space where people congregate and can hang out and meet up. And I think, you know, similar to what Alex is saying, though, a lot of this really does depend on business models changing, kind of getting rid of walled gardens, moats that may be around different platforms and really having shared ecosystems with real IP fluidity. Mm. I guess let's bring it over to China then. Um, I guess if we're looking at gaming as a vehicle for these early metaversal experiences, um, how are brands in China beginning to engage their audience? Yeah, I think certain companies at the moment are better situated. So obviously, Epic is really in a good place at the moment uh, for doing this. Other big tech companies, people like Apple, probably be less interested in providing a full-on metaverse experience and given, given their business model and given the way that they think about things. Um, in China, Tencent is by far and away the best place right at the moment, just as the size and scale of it, um, partly because it offers multiple services, but particularly because of its heritage as a gaming company uh, and its reach as the largest social platform. And obviously because it's such an ambitious um, uh, acquisition-driven company as well, so it's buying up lots of other peripheral companies that could help it to build out this technological uh, reality. So Tencent also owns a relatively large stake in Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite, as well as obviously majority ownership of Riot Games that makes League of Legends, which is also a kind of um, pre-emptor of the metaverse and so on. So Tencent understands that games are important, but there's also broader services that they they can do and kind of going back to perhaps meta media as a early indicator of kind of metaverse i think an interesting example would be what's happening with some of the idol groups here so we're seeing tencent owned properties um, move across from being something like a reality tv show where a band is put together and then that band being used as marketing assets within um, a game such as Game for Peace, um, which is which is huge and kind of, uh, I think, the most profitable mobile game in, in the world at the moment. 
And so we'll see IP being created across one media format, pulled into another, and then reinterpreted again. And throughout all of these purposes, it's kind of increasing revenue. It's being offered as a kind of an e-commerce play and also drawing more and more people into the, into the ecosystem. I guess the question begs is that, is it new? I mean, I'm a huge 60 fans and fan, and it just sort of reminds me of, you know, the monkeys from the 1960s where they had a TV show, obviously, the music that they made from it, and then also the concerts, um, or even, yeah, going back to what you were talking about in, uh, you know, idol groups. Um, across Asia, especially in K-pop, with the industrial sort of entertainment complex, you know, these idol groups from J-pop, K-pop, they appear in TV shows, they create um, albums, they're working with fashion industries, um, and they're all sort of owned by this these major conglomerates. Yeah, no, the idea of this, I don't think is fundamentally new. I don't think cross-IP is, is new. Um, I think what's super interesting and, you know, what, what's exciting about this is the application and the possibilities. So you're moving towards convergences of production, consumption and distribution uh, in a technological delivery mechanism that up until now and still right now isn't available. But as that becomes a possibility, that's obviously very appealing. What is the general role of brands within these universes? Like, how can we scale and model it? Yeah, so I think, you know, we absolutely see brands moving into this space, which would only make sense, you know, if you have a user base of 350 million people with Fortnite, for example, that is a huge audience and represents a really large opportunity for brands to be taking advantage of or seeing as an opportunity. Um, and I think this space is still evolving. Um, I think right now brands are kind of dipping their toe in and seeing what works. And we'll see a lot of brands like Jordan offer things like skins within Fortnite. Um, and I think the the goal behind that really is actually relays well to the brand itself, which is really about scarcity and status. Um, but again, I think this really just scratches the surface of what's possible. What's considered legitimate? Um how does Fortnite operate as a media space, um, if it is one? As we mentioned a moment ago, just even watching movie trailers in Fortnite has kind of huge value. Um, and there's something really important about that shared experience. You could almost say that there's something fundamental and very human about spending that time together. Uh, even if it's in this metaversal space, um, you can get a lot and uh, there's a lot of value there to so brands are definitely exploring that more. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's important, you know, we talked about um, this from a, a kind of metaphorical perspective at the beginning, and obviously the future to some degree is secretive. It doesn't all happen at once. And so you can easily imagine how Netflix could expand from original content into gaming, how it could create accessible worlds around its, uh, its properties that people could, could kind of log into, how it could expand those universes. I mean, at the moment during uh, COVID-19, you can obviously see how the excess of inventory in cinema chains is a real issue, whereas streaming companies have you know, done extremely well in terms of um, them being a necessity and something that people want. So you can see as well how 
a theme park company could buy up a cinema chain like AMC or um, how a gaming company could also take over a cinema uh, chain and, and start using it for streaming esports and so on. And you can just see how some of these business models could could come together where you start to see a marriage of uh, of IP, uh, physical space and, and, and virtual space too, which is, which is really exciting. We were talking a little bit about some of the underlying technology. Can we go into that a little bit more? What, what is about the underlying technology that's special here? Before I get into the technology itself, I mean, I think what's really exciting about the concept of a metaverse from Snow Crash, um, having read it, really is the world building aspect to it. You kind of enter this shared space and it's not really, you're not limited by what someone else has built. And you as a player or a participant really can continue that world building yourself. And I think as we think about a post-internet kind of infrastructure, it's probably going to be something that is even further democratized. And I think that that's something that's really exciting about what a metaverse could be. But, you know, for now, um, taking us back to reality, I think Alex mentioned earlier, Unreal Engine, I think is really the technology that has the most buzz. It's also owned by Epic Games, who makes Fortnite. Um, but I think, you know, taking a look at this technology, which has been used to create these 3D worlds, not just for games, but for cinema, um, for a number of years now, has a large user base of developers who have trained on it. So it's definitely benefiting from years of developer experience and familiarity in the space. Yeah, I did read some news recently about Unreal Engine 5. I also saw like the clips of it and it does look pretty amazing. The core promise is the real-time rendering, which would allow developers to create and simulate worlds on the go. Something that can show great promise for the developer of metaverse applications. Um, but additionally, you know, the tools for world building will be simpler, meaning that the applications for marketing will also be extending. And similarly, Unity is another real-time world uh, rendering engine, and they've been most recently used with the rapper um, Childish Gambino, who was using their Pharos uh, augmented reality to create an avatar that kind of moved with him and reacted to his different moves on stage. And that was um, something pretty impressive and kind of just goes to show that people really want to start to build with these tools. Hmm. I mean, these both seem pretty interesting, but they kind of rely still on people wearing various headsets, um, watching from screens, um, and sort of just placing our real world into digital reality. Yeah, and for sure, that, that feels like the construct at the moment, and it feels like, you know, whether it's talking about VR as this paradigm shift that is always about to happen but never really fulfills itself, still, I think, is one of the main challenges with this. But I think we're seeing more in the space of either basic technology, so things using apples like AR kits or you know things that may move into wearables like glasses, which free us or liberate us a little bit from the wonkiness of wearing these massive headsets all the time. And actually some of the kind of low tech renderings of um, the metaverse experience are actually some of the most interesting. Speaking of low tech or something that's a little bit more immediate, um, Ashley, you and I have been talking a lot about Animal Crossing, um, and it's certainly gotten a lot of buzz during lockdown. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I 
looked to get a Nintendo Switch to play Animal Crossing, kind of thinking back to the star, so starved for social interaction, it definitely has served as a space. And I think for Animal Crossing, it was absolutely a case of right place, right time. You know, it was just released right around the uptick of COVID-19 and a, a number of gamers and non-gamers like myself were at home looking for ways to stay entertained, stay connected, hang out with friends. And I think the simplified and casual nature of Animal Crossing's world building really reminds me a lot about Sims, which we've talked about too, you know, sort of adopting social mechanics, in-game economies, really to keep players engaged. And I think there is a social element where you can visit friends on islands that they've created. You know, we've seen politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez visiting her constituents on their islands. And I think it really does serve as a way to hang out. Um, you can play mini games, but I think mostly that social aspect is really what has you know, been the hook for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, Minecraft was definitely the forefront of these user-generated world buildings um, with adults and kids, I think very similarly to Animal Crossing. Or at least, you know, Minecraft was the first to achieve this uh, wide, widespread success. The other part of what's been going on since obviously for COVID is besides gaming, this sort of metaversal experience has received a lot of buzz within the conferencing world, um, as obviously because we've all been remotely working for you know the better part of the last three months. And we've all sort of been in this mass experiment of working from home. And I think as a consequence to that, more people than ever have been using video conferencing and just catching up with an experience that has really moved beyond um, teleconferencing of, of yesteryear. Yeah, we've all been pulled into kind of a new language around Zoom bombing and, and so on. And, and, and I think um, there's been a more interesting, broader cultural shift around uh, work streams moving towards video conferencing. And some of the problems that that brings up are, are fascinating to think about. So how do you run some form of interactive workshop or how do you shift a large gathering uh, over to these various platforms? I mean. Personally, I attended a couple of um, conferences that were moved relatively last minute into various forms of, um, of, of, of online setups, which often incorporated some form of like a new social network um, powered by Zoom as well with a messaging kind of backup system too. So there's been some really interesting things there. Right. And I think, you know, with your examples of the conferences and meetings and things like that, that typically in the real like pre-COVID world um, really happened in real time. I think this is sort of where gaming is still um, catching up. You know, gaming is still asynchronous and even at the streaming level. So it really comes down to something as mundane as the world of video conferencing that is lower latency and closer to the experience we would have in a true metaverse. Yeah, we're be missing some of the same level engagement that you get, like those um, nonverbal cues or some of the interaction that you get when you're in a big conference. Hmm. Video conferencing, it's still largely one-to-one -one or one-to-many if it's a, a webinar, um, but we're seeing massive growth in platforms like Zoom and the capability for it to perhaps go beyond its original use case for, for video conferencing and start to get into other aspects, whether that's shopping, I mean, a good reference point would be the boom in various live streaming um, uh, pieces of software in, in, in China. I mean, famously, 
uh, Alibaba launched uh, Taobao during SARS in 2003. And that was a period that accelerated its use. And it seems like there's an analog of that at the moment. We see um, live streaming uh, from, from Alibaba's apps in particular, really, really booming during this period. I think we're all just sort of coming to a conclusion that video conferencing is is kind of boring. It sounds like we've all attended virtual meetings, virtual conferences, ran workshops, and it feels like in every, almost every scenario, the video conference is just ultimately disappointing versus in real life meetings. For now, Zoom really acts as a substitute, a poor one at that. I mean, we've seen a lot being written recently about the psychology of Zoom, the downsides of what it means to be in front of your computer all day, sort of the mental fatigue, the anxiety near depression that you may feel um, having come out of a eight hour workday where you are on Zoom calls. Given the large user base um, for Zoom, given the context we're in now, there has definitely been a huge shift in the evolution and a lot of innovation in the space as well, given how many people are using it and sort of really turbocharging what that next future state of video conferencing could be. Yeah, I mean, I think Zoom has tried to mitigate some of the wear and tear, if you will, on your mind when you've been Zooming um, all day um, with virtual backgrounds. But I guess beyond the novelty of those virtual backgrounds, um, what else do we have? Well, I think one of the most interesting areas is trying to think about the spatial element and kind of going back to our topic of the of the metaverse and sort of bringing a physicality to to virtual experiences. At the moment, we really can see the limitation of one room or even just being in breakout rooms in in Zoom. There's definitely a, a paucity of spatial elements to video conversations. You know, even. Aesthetically, they're very fixated, single-view windows. And so video conferencing takes on a strange performative aspect as you face the, the window. And that's the only way in which you're able to convey your presence to another viewer. Are there a couple of examples that go further? There's been a few services that probably straddle the novelty um, and playful through to things that are perhaps a bit more progressive. I'm not sure exactly where this service sits, but one thing that we've been interested to see is something called Spaces uh, with the great URL spaces.com. And that uh, positions itself as a bridge between a VR world and our current video conferencing reality. And it's really about spatializing video, bringing a synchronicity to experiences and thinking about um, portals or rooms as a series of virtual spaces, which really goes back to you know some of the key tenets of how we're defining a potential um, metaverse. And I think connecting it as well to brands, we can see that they are doing some interesting experiments with either custom environments or collaborations with um, actual companies as well. Yeah, I guess it seems like this sense of shared community and presence is where we're headed that sort of regardless of what what we create the idea of the town square or shared community will be important in the creation and dissemination of these interactions and, and spaces 
funny enough, the games themselves actually have really great communication. We spent a lot of time talking about Fortnite and people using that for a social space. And even though you have your own avatar, um, what really drives that is that you've got voice, people kind of using their voice in there as well. And it gives a sense of, of authenticity and realness to it. Um, one funny example that's come out of this COVID period is actually Rockstar that makes the uh, Grand Theft Auto game as a Western-themed game called Red Dead Redemption 2. And people are actually doing video conferencing, um, just kind of using the shared online platform to kind of show up and just like rock up in their cowboy regalia and just have their conferences that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that just really speaks to our interconnectedness and also acknowledgement uh, of the time and investment that we have or people have into these virtual spaces. Yeah, that's true. And we've obviously seen that through the whole host of virtual nightclub spaces, bars going online, of sort of chat rooms and kind of nostalgia for kind of old, old fashioned like spaces where people would listen to music together, um, things that like hark back to a more second life experience for people old enough to, to remember that. Um, another one that I've seen that I think is, is interesting is called Online Town which is a video calling experience. Um, but what's unique about it is that it lets multiple people hold separate conversations in parallel. It lets you walk in and out of those conversations. And it's much more akin to how you would experience, say, being at a party in real life where you may move from one group to another and have, have, have chat as opposed to being locked in to a single video call. So I think that's fun. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard of that one as well. And I think, you know, kind of tying it back to working from home, which all of us are experiencing, um, I think this format of working um, really definitely, it has a rigidity to it. Um, you know, you have to schedule catch-ups, check-ins, one-on-ones. And I think people really are looking for more flexibility, um, which we had when we were in the workplace. So for example, you know, I wouldn't necessarily schedule an informal water cooler chat with colleagues um, normally, but I think, you know, the elements of collision and spontaneity in pre-COVID workplace culture you know, whether it was the Xerox machines of, you know, the 80s and 90s or the coffee machine, coffee runs, things like that. I think those are really the moments where interdepartmental mingling happens, culture building takes place. And I think as technologies start to pivot in those directions, you know, there are definitely a number of apps that are starting to think about solving what a future of, you know, majority remote working might look like. So there are apps like Pragly where you can create an avatar for remote working that helps solve for this in-office, uh, for those in-office moments and really as a signal to the types of interactions that you're open to having or not, depending on sort of where you are in your work um, flow. But I think, you know, you can definitely conceive what an advanced office um, application of a near metaverse might look like. It's funny that we, we kind of get on this topic because I started thinking about how companies would actually measure that performance, measure the impact that culture has on their actual business performance. Everyone's kind of locked out. I'm sure there's some academics already looking into that. Uh, but you can definitely see how these technologies are creating virtual space to kind of hang out in real time. These can exist in outside of work context too, right? So there's Something we said about the uptick in the IG Live and other live streaming apps at the moment. We're just so starved for this social interaction that these kind of live digital spaces are seeing much greater engagement. 
So for now, it's a little bit limited. It's kind of this one-way video, but we do have other things, right? Like chat, hearts, thumbs up, things to kind of give people a sense of our response to them. How this might behavior is priming us for opening up of more shared virtual spaces um, where some of these interactions evolve to something akin to virtual face-to-face or high fives. Yeah, I mean, taking it back to um, remote working a little bit, um, you know, is social work or remote work where more of these metaversal use cases will initially appear? I think it's mixed, but it seems like a, a good bet for now. You know, a lot of companies like Microsoft who both own Minecraft, but also own, you know, the most used kind of office suite of programs too, are very well placed to to, to play within that. I mean, you may see that education and something like Minecraft is, is, is a perfect space for that too. You know, that may translate into education and, and, and learning more broadly, uh, a kind of higher education level, uh, even at a corporate training level. Like these examples are perhaps less memorable than celebrity rappers doing concerts in video games. But if you think about the kind of the broad case application of them, then there is more of a practical element to it. Mm, what's the difference between that space and that of uh, gaming and, and entertainment? That's a difficult question, I think. Um, the realm of gaming, it's, it's, it's still rooted more in, in, in entertainment overall, or at least even if it doesn't have the stigma of being just leisure and not productive, I think a lot of the mechanics of it are still, and, and, and the reason why people game is still more on kind of entertainment. So that, that, that does contain it within, within that space. <laughs> Gaming, uh, just kind of the social capital aspect, like that you've got like a high level, you've got like a cool skin, I mean, Ashley mentioned a moment ago about like scarcity, those kind of the, for brands interacting in these metaversal spaces, that stuff is uh, just as important to, to gamers as well. I mean, there's a status associated with, you know, meeting certain uh, kind of targets and it gives you a sense of worth that's separate from what you have in, in the real world. I mean, even here in China, we look at games like the uh, Game for Peace, the kind of PUBG game here that um, you could just be like uh, a delivery guy, but you know, uh, in this space, you're like the top player in Shanghai, for example, and that has a lot of worth to it as well, I think. Yeah, I would say you know, another difference between perhaps the worlds of work and then the worlds of gaming and entertainment are perhaps barriers to entry. So for a fully fledged kind of metaverse that's more rooted in entertainment, there are lots of obstacles. Um, there needs to be shared kind of access, single logins, uh, fluidity of IP, which you see sometimes in things like the Marvel Universe, but broadly you don't see uh, you don't see sharing between companies that own particular IP assets. So at the moment, most of the structure of gaming and entertainment companies, with the exception perhaps of of Fortnite here. Um, is, you know, walled gardens, user data, segregated access, different payment. Um, and so lots of that 
goes against some of the principles of perhaps what building a metaverse would be. Whereas the world of work, there's even though there's obviously corporate privacy, there's just a more uh, open context perhaps to you know working together with people or intercompany or intracompany work. Okay, so that looks like. That's all the time that we have today. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of The Exchange. Thanks again to Alex, Ashley, and Tristan. If you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at episode.co or innerchapter.co. Catch you guys all next time.